Scripture lesson this morning is one of the parables of Jesus from Matthew chapter 7. This is actually one of Jesus' simpler and more efficient stories. It's exactly 100 words long in the New Revised Standard Version, so Matthew chapter 7. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds beat upon the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So our Hebrew Psalter lesson this morning is Psalm 40. I don't know if you've ever wondered where Jesus got all these great ideas for his inimitable stories, but of course he was a good little Jewish boy. He was in Shabbat every, he was in synagogue every Shabbat, and his mama taught him the Hebrew songbook, including this one that we're going to read, sing together actually in a moment, Psalm 40, which is the inspiration, as you will hear when you sing it, for the parable I just read. And pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So during the season of Epiphany here at Kenilworth Union Church, I'm preaching this sermon series called Earth, Wind, Fire, and Water, which according to the ancient Greek philosopher Plato, were the basic building blocks of everything that we can see and touch in the universe. They were the equivalent of our uh, chemical, chemical elements in the periodic table, the basic building blocks of the universe, and therefore so important practically and philosophically to the ancient Greeks that they became demigods, kind of semi-divinities, which works great if you are polytheists, right? If you have many gods. The Greeks deified just about everything. The Hebrews, of course, were monotheists. They believed in one God, so they could not deify these uh, four constituent elements of earth, wind, fire, and water. And so instead, they made them images of the one true God. And I've been trying to expand our range of images, how we think about God, and that's the meaning of this series. For instance, the Bible refers to God as a rock 58 times. I think that's quite extraordinary, 58 times. I do it all the time myself. I just did it. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Psalm 19, verse 14, 58 times. Very common image for God. I didn't do a comprehensive analysis, but I'm willing to bet that the Bible refers to God as a rock more often than it refers to God as Father. And so while laboring arduously in my exhaustive research for this sermon on Wikipedia, I came across the word monolith, which if you went to prep school, you know is Latin for single stone, mono, single, and stone, lithos, literally single stone. And so El Capitan in Yosemite is a monolith. Devil's Tower in Wyoming is a monolith. The largest monolith in the world is Uluru, or Ayers Rock, 
in the center of Australia. When you look at a map, Uluru looks like the nucleus of the entire continent. The whole continent just radiates around Uluru. It's 1,000 feet high and six miles around. And when I need a new image for God, I just think of Uluru. Stable, formidable, awesome, huge, reliable. You don't need a PhD in New Testament to understand the story Jesus told and I just read a minute ago. In fact, many collections of articles about the parables of Jesus just skip this parable altogether because it's too obvious. New Testament scholars don't want to waste their erudition on the self-evident. You probably don't even need me to explain it to you, but that's what you pay me to do, so gosh darn it, that's what I'm going to do. Two guys build a house. The one guy does the difficult but prudent thing to do. He builds his house on rock. That's not easy, right? You need a pickaxe or a jackhammer or a drill or dynamite or whatever passed for such in the first century. It's not easy, but it's sensible because rock is firm, stable, reliable. And the other guy does the easy but foolish things to do. He builds his house on sand. That's easy because sand is flexible. It moves wherever you want it to. A child with a shovel and a beach pail can build a sandcastle. So it's easy. It only took a day, but it only lasted a day. Many of you have been to Palestine, and so you know that Palestine is a brown, dry, dusty place. And so it surprised me to learn that Palestine actually gets 22 inches of rain in a year, which is about the same as London. But the, same, but the thing is that whereas London gets its 22 inches of rain on 300 rainy days a year, Palestine gets its 22 inches of rain on 50 days in a year. That is to say, it all comes at once. So gully washers are common in Palestine. They have these things called wadis, right, which are dry stream beds most of the year until one of these rainstorms come along and these gully washers push everything out of their way. And in Matthew's original Greek word order, Jesus says, Torrential came the rains, down swept the floods, angry roared the winds. And then Jesus thunders with a flourish, and great was its fall. This is how Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount. This is how Jesus concludes the most famous sermon in history. And great was its fall. Last sentence in the Sermon on the Mount. That's how Jesus pointedly pounds home his preachy Palestinian proclamation. Period. Must be important, right? Jesus wants us to build our lives on God the monolith, on God the rock of our salvation, to plant our lives solidly on the Ten Commandments and in the life of the Nazarene and in the unstinting grace of the deity and in the love which the New Testament teaches God just is without remainder. So do you know people who live in shaky, sandy houses? Do you know people who are up for grabs unmoored, adrift, unanchored? I, maybe I'm naive, but I was so disillusioned by the Houston Astros 
this week. It felt like a microcosm of the whole country. This sign-stealing scandal, the Red Sox and the Mets are caught up in this too. If you have to cheat to win, do you want to win? What's the point? What is it like in your life, on the tennis court or at the bridge table or in your professional existence? If you have to shave strokes to reduce your handicap, if you have to lie to nail the contract, if you have to game the market to make a profit, what's the point? Isn't that victory hollow and disintegrating and not worth the trouble and falling down into the sand beneath? You can't live there. You can only perish there. You can only shrivel there. Baseball's not just a game. Football's not just a game. We play games to learn how to live, right? How to follow the rules. Those splendid athletes and superior human beings at the football game between LSU and Clemson the other night. You know, when Trevor Lawrence, the Clemson quarterback, fumbled the football with about two minutes to go, crushing any remaining hope that Clemson had of winning the national championship, he went back to the sideline, crestfallen and destroyed. Just a sad young man. And instantly, Clemson coach Debo Swinney runs over there to encourage him. That was a precognitive move. Debo did not have to think about that. When you are anchored to the rock, you don't have to think about things. You just know what to do. And the television didn't record what Dabo said to Trevor, but I'll bet it was this. Young man, head up, pride unbroken. You have never lost in Clemson Orange. We are 25 and 0 with you as our captain. You won 41 straight games in high school. Head up. Pride unbroken. Those guys' lives are anchored. They're both observant Christians. Those guys' lives are anchored in God the Rock. Or LSU quarterback Joe Burrow, right? His precision on the football field is almost miraculous. And his witness to God and to his hometown of Athens, Ohio, is just unshakable. When he received the Heisman Trophy, he spoke for six minutes. Six minutes about a third the length of this sermon. 30 seconds about the poor people in his hometown where the coal mines are closed and the hillside stripped of timber and the rivers dying from chemicals and his neighbors dying from opiates. He spoke for 30 seconds. A month later, a Facebook page had raised $500,000 for the food pantry in Athens. Five times their annual budget. Joe's mother, Robin, is the principal at Eastern Elementary School in Athens, kindergarten through fourth grade. She calls her students, my kiddos. That school has closetfuls of winter coats and mittens and backpacks for kids who can't afford those necessities. They almost never close schools in Meigs County during the winter, except under the most extreme conditions because the teachers know the students are safer in the school where there's food and warmth, safer there than at home, where there might not be electricity. Joe's mother, Robin Burrow, has a crate of macaroni and cheese under her desk. 
And when a reporter asks her, how often do you hand those out? She says, every day. My kiddos. Those people learned how to live on the football field and in church by paying attention to Jesus. Isn't it interesting how the most hated, despised man in America somehow 50 years later became by common consent the most admired American of the 20th century? You know, within hours of his death in 1968, Strom Thurmond, Dixiecrat senator from South Carolina, was resenting the public tributes that were pouring out of the Senate for Dr. King and excoriating his character. The FBI spent years before he died encouraging him to commit suicide. When he was killed, many white Americans celebrated, literally celebrated, Thank God they finally got him was a common refrain. State of Arizona resisted a Martin Luther King holiday until 1993 and only capitulated when the NFL threatened to move the Super Bowl from Tempe. State of New Hampshire didn't get a national holiday until the year 2000. But finally, over the decades, the record has been rectified. On April 5, 1968, the day after he died, the sanitation workers he'd gone to Memphis to march with held a memorial service for him. And James Bevel from the Southern Christian Leadership Council spoke. Mr. Bevel said, There's a false rumor around that our leader is dead. Our leader is not dead. Our leader is not Martin Luther King. Our leader is the one who led Moses out of Egypt. Our leader is the one who marched out of the grave that Easter morning. Our leader never slumbers or sleeps. Our leader can never be put in jail. Our leader is on the case. And so, if you are anchored to God the monolith, God the rock of your salvation. It don't matter what they do. Your life might end, but your destiny will be triumphant. On Christ the solid rock we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Verse 